Alright, uh, we are the Promised Land Praise Praise Band, I guess you would call us. I don't know. And uh, we play on Wednesday night for the teens. Uh, and we'd like to share a song with y'all. It's called This Is Amazing Grace. Who breaks the power of sin and darkness? Whose love is mighty? stronger, the King of glory, the King above all kings. Who shakes the whole earth with holy thunder, who leaves us breathless in awe of wonder, the King of glory, the King above all kings. Oh, la, la. 
It's good to have Ethan out of school with us back again. He's going to bring us a special at this time. How great thou art, 
how great thou art then sing my song my Savior God to thee how great thou art how great thou art how great thou art how great thou art Amen. Wow. That'll get a glory out of you. Amen. I hope and pray that uh, already that you've been blessed. If you've been blessed already, say amen. Amen. It's been good. I appreciate uh, people using their talents for the honor and glory of God and um, hoping and praying that you are ready to receive a portion of of God's holy word, that you will take a minute or two and reflect not only on this last year, and for some of you, it's been a a roller coaster of a year. It's been a, a lot of ups and a lot of downs. Just about everybody in this room has struggled a time or two this last year obviously some more than others but looking forward to 2015 that's definitely an attitude and a perspective that God's word bears out that we need to look forward looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and despised the shame. And he sat down now at the right hand of the Father. That's what the writer of the book of Hebrews says. So I hope and pray that you'll focus your eyes on Jesus this morning. And I know it's easy, especially here, and and I'm so thankful for the the good number here this morning and uh, and all of our guests. Thank you so much. For worshiping here with at Promised Land with us here at Promised Land, and just ask that you just uh, let God speak to your heart this morning. Go ahead and open your Bibles this morning to the Book of Acts, chapter nine and verse six. That's where we're going to begin. And as you've seen either in your bulletin or on the screen, that I, my prayer is is that you say God, He needs to get a hold of me. God needs to get a hold of us. God needs to get a hold of you. You can say that with any of those directions you want. I'll admit as your pastor, that needs to be my prayer. That God would get a hold of me. That God would direct me. And that everybody in this room, that's your prayer also. Let's... Stand up one more time for the reading of God's holy word. Just one verse. Just one verse. And 
the Word of God says this. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. Father, may your Holy Spirit speak to our hearts. May we be willing to listen to that still small voice. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The Bible, and looking at this scripture here this morning, it tells us it's about a man that uh, God got a hold of. It's about a man that God radically changed his life, and we're going to bear that out. Sometimes when God, you say God can get a hold of somebody, if you're lost today, my prayer is, is that God would get a hold of you so that you can say, hey, I need a Savior. If you're saved, no matter you, whether you think you're walking right beside the Lord or maybe you've drifted away from Him, no matter your position, there's nothing wrong with saying, I need a closer walk with God. There's nothing wrong with saying, I need to, I want God to get a hold of me. Matter of fact, Paul said that in many different ways. Two Old Testament examples. One of them uh, is when God got a hold of Samuel. Very few times does the Bible say, just come out and say why somebody died. But in 1 Chronicles chapter 10... In verse 13, the Bible says why King Saul died. And you can say, well, he fell on his sword. The Bible, he was in a battle with the Philistines, and he didn't want to get captured. So he did uh, the way the Japanese call it, Harry Carey. He fell on his sword. And uh, he, he committed, you'd say, committed suicide. But he didn't want to be tortured to death. And... Uh, but that's the position that everything that led up to him being put in that position, the Bible kind of sums up. And it says here, basically, God got after Saul. He is after Saul. He is after Saul. He is after Saul. And the Bible says, I love it when the Bible's plain. Sometimes you wonder, you have to really study it out. This is pretty plain. So Saul died for his transgression, which he committed against the Lord. Comma, whoa, he's got more stuff, <laughs> which he kept not, and also for asking counsel of one that had a familiar spirit to inquire of it. In other words, he went to that witch at Endor. He went to a witch, and they had a seance, tried to call back the spirit of Samuel. Basically, he was trying to get an answer, but not from the Lord. Notice the next verse. It says, and because he went to that witch... Verse 14 says, he inquired not of the Lord, therefore he slew him. Who's he? God. God put him in that position and turned the kingdom unto David, the son of Jesse. Well, that's a man, that's a whoo. I would hate for God to get a hold of me that way. Man, that, but what it was, was King Saul, and some wonder if he was really saved. I, I think in looking at this scripture, he really was. He knew the Lord, but he just, he was, man, he was looking at everything but the Lord. And he, he was full of pride. 
and uh, presumptuousness, and he didn't want to seek out God's will. There was another guy. I think he was the same way. Uh, he was a, a servant of God, but he had a bad attitude. And this, of course, this fellow's name is Jonah. In the book of Jonah, chapter 1, verse 17, it's a simple story about a man running from God. And the Bible says that uh, the Lord had prepared, in Jonah 1.17, a great fish. Now this is it. Now I want to make this as simple as I can for you this morning. God has something prepared for you this morning. He's either a blessing prepared for you, or He's got a sledgehammer. <laughs> Sometimes we've used that story out here in the country before that God, or excuse me, well, man, I just need to be hit over the head with a two by four. Sometimes God does that and it doesn't feel good. God had prepared a four by four to whack Jonah across the head. Matter of fact, if you read this story, the short, it's a very short book. It's four chapters. There's four things God prepared for Jonah. This is the first one. All four things was because of his bad attitude. Is <laughs> a preacher with a bad attitude. It was. And matter of fact, if you go to Branson and you watch this same thing, it's reflected very accurately, I think, in the story up there in Branson. They did a pretty good job of portraying this. They had to ad-lib some things because there's obviously a whole lot more going on and there's definitely in the boat and imagine the storm that storm was amazing and that ship there is pretty awesome so that's two old testament examples of god getting a hold of somebody who was running well this fellow here king not king saul but saul here in the book of acts shows the same thing he was lost but he thought he was serving god in Acts chapter 7, verse 58, this is the very first point. If you have your bulletin, you follow along, or you can just follow the titles on the screen, what we're talking about. When you think everything's okay, the Bible says they stoned Stephen in Acts seven fifty-eight. They were stoning Stephen, but, when, but while they were doing it, they cast him out of the city, and they stoned him, and they laid the, the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. Now, he was younger th- here. So basically what this fellow was doing, he, was a, uh, he worked for the high priest of that day, and he thought everything was fine. Matter of fact, he says, I'm a servant of God. Now, he was a servant of God in name only. So many people today say, I'm a Christian, and maybe even go to Promised Land Missionary Baptist Church. You may come here and, and don't, don't uh, take this too hard. There are a lot of people who come to Promised Land Missionary Baptist Church, and, and we just we struggle living it out there. We struggle living it out there. Now, don't be too hard on yourself. We all, everybody struggles. We've got some solid Christians. We've got some baby Christians. We've got teenage Christians. And I'm not referring to how old you are. (laughs) I'm referring to how we act and how we live for God. And so it doesn't matter. The thing is, recognize and say, you know what? I need God to get a hold of me. 
I need, and so God had big plans for Saul, and he wanted Saul to serve him, and he wanted Saul to live for him, but right now Saul's lost. <laughs> He's a mem- His name is on the church roll, so to speak. In other words, he thinks he's serving God. But he's, he's going, as a matter of fact, he's listening to go up to the high priest. If you look at chapter 9, still, he thinks everything's okay. Look at chapter 8, verse 1 first. Saul was thinking about Stephen's death. He said, you know what? That old boy died, and I've never seen anything like that. He was a follower of this man Jesus. Now, Saul, in this book of Acts, he really didn't know Jesus at all. He had heard of him. But he hadn't put two and two together that Jesus is God's Son. And Stephen's preaching, he preaches, and I think Saul hears every word of it. He's putting it all together, and in Acts 8, 1, Saul is thinking about what he just saw. He's thinking about, he just saw a man who was stoned to death, and folks, there's some pebbles out here in this parking lot. And back here, we got in the back of the church, we, I don't know if y'all know this, we got gravel, okay? Did y'all know they, Stephen wasn't stoned with gravel? <laughs> he wasn't stoned with uh, peat gravel <laughs> or regular gravel. He was stoned with rocks. He was stoned with softball-sized rocks and bigger probably. And the people were killing him. And he was looking up to heaven and he said, God... Don't hold these people accountable. Lay not this sin to their charge. Man, and, and Saul had never seen anything like that. I was listening to an um, uh, interview yesterday. a matter of fact, had that Andrew Luck for the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, I don't know if he's a Christian or anything, but they were just talking about his awesome attitude. Every time that, uh, whether it be J.J. Watt or somebody would come around the end in the NFL and waylay him, all the people who were interviewed, the Philadelphia 76er guy, I mean the Philadelphia Eagle guy, I'm getting my NBA teams mixed up, and all these other people that had tackled him, they say every time he gets up, he congratulated the guy on an awesome sack. They said they'd never, and they said it almost made you not want to sack him as hard. And uh, just an awesome attitude, and and so just, and they couldn't get over it, and they just couldn't believe that he would have that kind of attitude after you just pounded him into the turf. And I, and I look at this, and so many times we may wonder about our, somebody's attitude, and Stephen, he just couldn't get over that fellow's attitude, and as he's because why his attitude was shaped by Jesus. Stephen had an awesome attitude, and matter of fact, even as he was dying and the lifeblood was flowing out of him, he looked up and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. That's what the Bible says. Hey, you don't think that made an impact on Saul? I guarantee you it did. According to Acts 8, 1, he's thinking about it. He's thinking about it. It's on his mind. He's dwelling on it. And as all that's happening, then Saul has his past in, in verse 3. Look at this. Look what kind of fellow he is. In Acts 8, 3, the Bible says, Saul made havoc of the church. Man, he's running. It's like the Nazis. This is Nazis before there was Nazis. And he's going in. It says he and made havoc of the church. He's throwing people in prison. He's uh, grabbing them. He's hitting them. He's beating on them. Matter of fact, he didn't realize that that God was even using him while he was lost 
to spread the word, look at 8.4. 8.4 says they went everywhere preaching. Why were they going everywhere? They were running. <laughs> they were running for their life. They were running from Saul. Saul's a bad dude. And so <clears throat> his past continued on. Head over to Acts 9.1. Saul thought he was on God's side. So Notice here, right in the Bible... Acts 9-1, Saul breathing out threatenings and slaughter. That doesn't sound like he's out to give you a hug, does it? <laughs> he's not, this is not a hugging guy. <laughs> he's not even handshaking you. He's coming after you with an M16 machine gun, machete, whip, and everything, all the above, if they would have been in existence. Uh, notice who he's against. Against the disciples of the Lord. And he went to the high priest, and verse 2 says he desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found anybody of this way, whether they were men or women, it didn't matter if they were men, women, or children, he's, he's taking them out, or taking them in, or both. And so that was his past. What does this tell me? He's working with the high priest. It'd be kind of like, the state-run church. It was the state-run church. If you... So I, he's thinking he's on God's side. He's thinking he's serving the Lord because I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, he says in another place. I'm a Jew among Jews. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I have a doctorate degree in the Old Testament. I'm smarter than all of y'all put together. That's what he knew he was. But folks, you don't get to heaven by your smarts. You don't get to heaven and you can't serve the Lord with uh, your eyes on people. They must be on Jesus. Now, he's about to get a face-to-face encounter. And that's the next point. Face-to-face with God. As he, so he gets what he needs. And the Bible says in verse 3, he journeys and he came near Damascus. And so he wasn't far from there. And suddenly there shined around about him a light from heaven, and he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? In other words, God knocked him flat on his face. He knocked him down. He fell to the ground out of fear. You can say it either way. God knocked him down. It doesn't matter. God showed up and he's down. And sometimes that's the way we need to be. There's two awesome descriptions of this whenever people go into the presence of God. In Isaiah uh, chapter 6, the Bible des- describes him going into the presence of God even in a vision. Even as he saw this, th- he, this vision before him in Isaiah 6, 5, whenever Isaiah literally is... Feeling, feeling the presence of God. What does he say? Woe is me, Isaiah 6, 5, for I am undone because I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. There was another guy. Go all the way to the end of your Bible in the book of Revelation chapter 1. The writer of this book, John, 
He gets a scene into heaven in Revelation 1.17. The Bible says this. So all of a sudden he sees Jesus. He sees He's not seen him in a while. But remember, he saw Jesus in the flesh. But he sees him this time and what does he see? And I saw him and I fell at his feet as dead. Passed out. I just had uh, this December. I had a a little operation done on my foot. It's healing okay. It'll it'll live. Thank thanking the Lord. <clears throat> Doctor Robinette, podiatrist up there in Monticello. I think he's out of Pine Bluff, and he said, "You want to do this?" I said, "The quicker the better. Let's get it done." He said. All right, well, that's all we got to do. And I said, well, listen, I got this thing called a vasovagal response. In other words, I'm prone to passing out. He said, no problem. <laughs> you can be laying on your belly anyway. <laughs> Roll over. It's easier to get to your foot that way. I said, and that nurse, I said, give me a cold washcloth. And I was wiping, wiping my face. And, and she had to do that three or four times. I was just glad. That I, I was in a great position for that. I'm prone to passing out and I despise. But guess what happened to John? I, when it says I fell at his feet as a dead man, literally he felt faint. He hit the deck. Both these cases, Saul, Acts 9, Isaiah, uh, Isaiah 6, and now here in Revelation 1, these people, when they came into the presence of God, hit the deck. They hit their face. They fell down, which tells me sometimes God needs to do this to me and you. That we need to fall on our face before. All it means is, is I, you, you, you realize who God is. You realize that I'm nothing. You realize that He's everything. You realize I don't deserve anything. You put yourself in that position. Anytime that we feel anything, confidence before God without Jesus it's called self-righteousness and you can't serve God with self-righteousness you can't live for God with self-righteousness any righteousness I have is from Jesus and that's where you get your righteousness from and that's why these people didn't they hit the deck and we need to be on our face. That's why sometimes our people here at Promised Land come down and they pray at the altar. They, they do business with God that we have people that will shed tears because there's lost people and backslidden people around us. And we become heartbroken. Lord, help the day that we're no longer heartbroken about our church or our families enough to hit our knees. And like these guys, that they, if they can be prostrate and on their face before God, why can't we? There's something wrong in 2015 when we're too hard-hearted or too unmoved or cold or unbroken that we will not bow a knee before God. There comes a point when we need to say, verse 5, Acts 9, 5 says this. <clears throat> and he said, Who art thou, Lord? I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks, meaning those goads, those sharp instruments that they use to prod the animals.
When you reach a point in your life, you say, God, I don't, who are you? Who are you, God? What are you doing, God? Then we need to be at a point where we admit that we don't know the answers. That's what he was doing in verse 5. I don't know what's going on. I don't, who, who are you? Who is this bright, shining, blinding light? Have I ever met you before? And he says, I'm Jesus. Let me ask y'all this morning, do you know this man he met? And are you living for him? Because complete surrender is verse 6, which is our main text. And it's just simply this, Lord, what do you want me to do? That's the main part of that verse. That's the main thing. And the main thing this morning, if you were to leave out of here, if you can remember the title, what is the title? That God needs to get a hold of me. But the main point is you to tell God, God, what do you want me to do? Start off this year, 2015. If you haven't done it the first few days of January 2015, go ahead today before you leave this room in the quietness of your heart this morning and ask God, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? If you would do that honestly before Him, it might scare some of you to death. It might be a question you've never asked God. You're just saying, Lord, thank you. I'm going to heaven. Praise the Lord. I'm just glad I'm saved. But the fellow who saved you and died for you might want you to do something. Or do you love him enough? Some people say, well, I... I'm saved, I, you know, I don't need to go to church or anything. It's kind of like this, you know. I love Jesus, but I don't like His bride. Because one day, Jesus is going to marry the church. That's an interesting study all on its own. But right now, what about you and your life? Complete surrender. I love what the Bible says about the Jeremiah and the potter. Just a neat story. Complete surrender. And all of us need to be like this uh, clay. And Jeremiah 18.1 said the word came to Jeremiah. Verse 2 says, hey, get on down to the potter's house. And I will cause thee to hear my words. Verse 3, and I went down to the potter's house and he's working. Verse 4 And the vessel that he made of clay was marred, messed up. That's just like my life and your life. Marred and messed up. And guess what the potter said? I'm going to to take this same vessel and I'm going to make it again. And he remade it. So many times we are not willing to be like this broken vessel. Lord, take me, remold me, reshape me. Back in our text in Acts 9, we need to be willing. Now, some people say, Lord, I need you. Sometimes God puts us. He wants to say, you know what? I think back in Acts 9, 8, 
The Bible says Saul arose from the earth and he's been blinded by this light that he saw. And his eyes were open, he couldn't see, and they led him by the hand. You know what God was doing? Because sometimes God will put you in a position to see if you will let the pride of man see how you react around other people. And that's what he was doing here. I'm going to blind I'm going to make him so dependent, I'm going to see what kind of, what's really down deep in his heart. Not only was he dependent on God, guess who had to lead him into town? He's blind, yeah. Those guys, and he's just, guess who's completely dependent now? The fellow who had the doctorate degree and the awesome education and was the Hebrew of Hebrews is now what? He's no more, he's not any better than a blind beggar. God got a hold of him. God got a hold of him. And he changed it right here. You know when, you know when he got saved, and yes, his later, name later became Paul, but you know when Saul got saved? Some point in time, when he heard the word that this is Jesus, and he said the phrase, what will you have me to do? I don't know exactly the moment, but some point in time. But when he heard that it was Jesus, and then he said, what will you have me to do? Later on, he was baptized. That just was an act of obedience. That didn't save him. It was just saying, I will serve you till the day I die. This whole thing is wrapped up in an awesome passage that I want to just let this be the closing of this message, this wrapping up in First Timothy one, Paul is mentoring this young preacher, this young guy, and he says, "Timothy, let me tell you how God worked in my life." And he's wrapping this whole story up. Last night, as I was walking across that drizzly parking lot, and I was thinking, I, I was remembering the time and. And every time I walked from the church office to the uh, back to the house, I don't know how, I guess it's kids, there's gravel all over our, and I always kick it back in the pile. And there's always, this never-ending, I think it's eternal gravel. I don't know if bulls going out there, sweeping it back out there or what, but I'm always kicking that gravel. And I said, I've been kicking this gravel back for ten years. Two months, I'll be here ten years, kicking that gravel. Still kicking that gravel. And folks, it doesn't matter how long you've been at it. You look back and you say, God, what have you done with my life? And what am I going to do this year? That's what he was doing. Paul was thinking back. Notice verse 12, 1 Timothy 1, 12. I thank Christ Jesus that He put me in the ministry. And I remember whenever I was called. There is no doubt. There is no doubt in my mind. I, God radically, I went from a didn't care anything. I couldn't even outline three words of a sentence. I didn't care about getting up in front of anybody. And just a few months time frame, God started radically changing my desire and then it says, you know what, in verse 13, I used to be a blasphemer, a persecutor. 
I used to hurt. Notice it says injurious. If you have a King James Bible, you know what that means? I used to hurt people and like it. I used to like to hurt people. I'd hurt them in the brain. I'll hurt them physically. I'll make them bleed. And then it says, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief, which means this, I got a second chance. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love. What do we need to have toward each other? Faith and love. And this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And there's nobody a bigger sinner than I am. That's what it says when I says I am chief. How be it for this cause I obtain mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering. In other words, God is patient with me and you, isn't he? If he's patient with Paul, he can be patient with us. And then he says at the end of verse 16 that I would live my life for a pattern which should afterward believe on him. What are you going to do as we prepare for him the invitation? Between you and God this morning, Lord, what will you have me to do? What will you have me to do? Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for this opportunity this morning. And I pray that we would focus on you this morning that we would it would life would be about you and that we would let you get a hold of us in complete surrender in jesus name amen